Good morning to you. Everybody said amen. amen. So glad to uh, be with everyone here in the house of the Lord today. And I'm excited about this series. Uh, you should have received a copy of message notes. Look like this. Um, I uh, really, really, really have been in prayer this week over this first one today out of the shoot. I think that it's important that we never lose the desire to learn the Word of God. I don't think that we can ever insulate ourselves into the place of thinking, hey, you know what, I really already got that passage down. You know what, I got Psalm 23. I memorized it in preschool, Sunday school class, and I just really don't think that I can really get anything else from it, so I'm not going to take time and turn to it and see what it says. When God may use something you've read 5,000 times and all of a sudden one thing comes off the page to you in a fresh way. And the, the, the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit, he sheds the light, he turns the light on. Um, one contemporary ministry um, that said something recently that got my attention, his name is Andrew Womack. He's on TV and I'm not, I don't rare, I rarely do I ever promote any kind of TV ministries because some of them are good and some of them aren't, and you, you, you do your own discernment. Um, but he said this. He said, he said, I found that Christians rarely let the Bible get in the way of what they believe. Now, just let that sink in. It's kind of crawling around, and some of it bounced back at me, so I'm going to throw it back out again. He says, I have found that Christians rarely let the Bible get in the way of what they believe. Now, the Bible is the word of God. As, as evangelical, and I use this word very cautiously, fundamentalist, because there are aspects of that that I don't want to be identified with, but just in the purest sense of the word, in the fact that we believe in the basics of Christianity, in the fundamentals of the faith, in many evangelical fundamentalist circles, uh, Many times people have come to grab hold of a number of different kinds of ideas that they think are scripture that, are, that, are, that, are, that have been authenticated and have come from the authority of the word of God and they're not. They've just been landed on them with tradition. And so uh, this morning, the very first one out of the shoot is probably one of the hardest of this and I really thought, should I do this at the very end? And I really feel like that I needed to do this timely because of what's been happening in our culture. And so right out of the chute today, we're, we're tackling one of the harder ones. Some of these are going to be a little bit more lighthearted. Some of them, you know, you'll kind of you'll catch it right off and see, yeah, man, that's really all over, stamped all over Southern churchianity. But, but this one's kind of a hard one. And so today, I, I'm, I'm probably not going to be up on the edge in a real preaching kind of mode. I want to back up and, and, and calmly and yet concisely show you the myth that is behind this concept that real Christians don't judge. Because you've heard that over and over and over. Well, I thought you were a Christian. You don't judge. And there's about a half truth to that. And so this morning, I, I, I want to open up the one passage that we would typically turn to and see exactly what it says. Because I think that when you really read it, you'll find that it doesn't say what you've been told that it says. So with that, if you would stand with me, please, this morning, and we're going to read Matthew chapter 7, 
verses 1 through 5. I'd like all of you just to find one of the screens that's comfortable for you to see, and we're going to read the Word of God together. Is it there, guys? Do we have the text? Thank you. That's awesome. Wonderful. All right. Find it, and let's go. Here we go. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Now, get this. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. All right. It's important today that we come to the scripture and we ask God to give us light and some understanding. So let's pray. Father, I just I beg you today. This is not just about teaching a concept, but Lord, it's about birthing an understanding in us as a people. God, I ask you for the spirit of grace to settle down in each and every heart, every person that's here. Lord, there are people who are wounded today who need the healing touch of Jesus. There are people in this room who have been judged, who've experienced the cold slap of condemnation in the left foot of fellowship. God, today we ask you to help us understand exactly what this means. We, we, we don't want to be doing something that you've told us not to do. At the same time, we want to be wise. And we ask you for that in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. you may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Now, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Why do you think we study systematic theology? Why, why do we study systematic theology? Systematic theology is given to us because it is a discipline that attempts to look at the whole word, Acts Chapter 20 talks about the Apostle Paul said, I have not failed to give to you the whole counsel of the Word of God. If you know a little bit about the Bible, you are aware of the fact that you can pull anything, any one scripture out of its context, and you can just about build a support system to say anything you The German church in ignorance got behind Adolf Hitler in... 1939 through about 1945. And the blood is on them because they didn't stand up to speak against the evil that was going on in the land and the slaughter of six million Jews. And there were those who actually found a biblical justification for that genocide. Our history has some black spots on it as a nation. There are those, matter of fact, the, I don't want to offend anybody, but we need to just look at this historically and be truthful the Southern Baptist Church in its initial establishment was a split from the north and it was over the issue of slavery and they chose scriptures out of context to justify the enslavement of a whole race of people. Now, they've made numerous attempts and real, true, honest-to-goodness Southern Baptist preachers today will tell you we are, we've repented, we are still doing everything we can to show people that we made the mistake, we've owned it, God forgave us, we're, we're reaching out, and they're making great strides. It's a historical lesson that we don't want to push under the rug because it's critical to see that at times in history we've taken Scripture out of context and we've justified heinous 
Acts. Amen? Okay, those are a couple of examples. We study systematic theology because we want to see from Genesis to Revelation the witnesses of two covenants, Old Covenant, New Covenant, showing us what is a balanced perspective on this subject of grace. What does the Bible, the whole Bible, not just one portion, say about the law of God? What, uh, what, what, how do you answer the question uh, in our society when we as Christians, as evangelical Christians, say that we're pro-life, but yet we may be also pro-capital punishment? Because the individual non-Christian will say, that doesn't make sense. You're pro-life for a baby, but pro-death for a murderer. How do you justify that? Okay? And without opening that can of worms, there's a distinction in the sixth commandment that says thou shalt not murder. There are justifiable times when we do take the life. And to compare the life of an innocent newborn to the life of a murderer who's gone on a killing spree is not even, that, that is not analogous. That does not compute, it does not compare. But that's one example. How does the Bible speak to those questions? How can we arrive at conclusions where we believe in what we believe? Because we all begin with a worldview. The worldview then forms our ideas about issues that lead us toward decisions that we make politically. I just want to say to you right now, I have never in my life, I, the first election that I voted for was, it was in 1980. I had turned 18 in 1979. And uh, I was headed to college, 1978, December, and headed to college. And my first election was 1980. And I've never missed an election to vote. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I am despondent. I'm praying for God to give me something to speak to because I really feel like I just don't even have a choice. Now, don't, don't get disappointed in me. I'm not d d pulling away or telling you in any way, standing in this holy place and telling you who you should or shouldn't vote for. That's your prerogative. You pray, you seek the face of God on what you're supposed to do. But these are decisions that we have to make that are based upon what the scripture says that forms our worldview, that forms our understanding of ethics, that gives us a picture of how we're supposed to decide about issues. What does the Bible say? So we study systematic theology to try to arrive at a place of balanced understanding because I can go to a text and take it out of context and a text without a context becomes a pretext. I can, pre, I can go to that and make it say anything that I want to. So I have to be faithful as a student of God's word and a person who's committed to the spirit of grace to stand and, and, and make every attempt to try to say, God, I want to know what is your perfect will in this circumstance or this situation. Into the middle of all of this, Jesus is speaking in a culture that has become so saturated with legalism. It is very, very similar to the place which we live in southern churchianity, that, that Phariseeism and your attempt to get saved by doing the law and working your way into heaven and then staying saved by keeping the law. It's a, it's a legalistic, uh, it's, it's, forgive me, but it's a bastardized attempt at trying to earn our way into heaven and none of us can do that. I am not good enough. You are not holy enough. Come on, it took the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ who died for us. He's the only person who's ever kept every jot and tittle of the law. I have not. I try. And if I do, it is only by the grace of God that I'm able to. It is by the power of an exchanged life. Because the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is his life living in me. In the middle of this, 
passage, this is what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Three of the most important chapters in all of the Bible where Jesus stands up and preaches the most monumental, phenomenal, life-changing sermon that has ever been preached called the Sermon on the Mount. And he probably did it in about 18 minutes. That just blows my mind. And so into this, he's dealing with a culture that's taken the core values of God's character and holiness given to Moses in Exodus 20, brought down from the mountain, delivered to the people of Israel on tablets that by the finger of God himself had been inscribed on tablets of stone. And then Moses gave it to another generation born in the wilderness again, the second giving in the, of the law, Deuteronomos, Deuteronomy. Do is, Deutero is two or twice. Namos is law. Deuteronomy 5 is the second giving of the law to prepare the people of God to go into the wilderness and to be able to possess through the wilderness into the promised land and to be able to maintain their inheritance. And because they broke the law of God, they lost their stake in the promised land. It's in the middle of all this that a thousand years of Pharisaism has come forward and we've got folks who have built fence laws around the pure law of God. The Pharisees had literally built 1,500 fence laws around the fourth commandment that says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And they have all of these outrageous extensions of the initial law of God that was given. And this is what Jesus looks at when they're dealing with him. And these are people that are arguing with Jesus over his disciples who didn't wash their hands before they ate. These are people who argued with Jesus who healed a man on the Sabbath day. These are people who are arguing with Jesus because the disciples went through the fields on the Sabbath and they plucked the grains of corn and ate it. And Jesus had to point back to David going into the holy place and actually eating the showbread, which was only supposed to be for the priests. And Jesus basically said, you guys are so messed up. Man is not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath day is made for man. And he tried to get them turned back up right side, not on their head, but up right side. And their Pharisaism, their religiosity, kept them from being able to receive the spirit of, the, of grace and the one who was standing before them because they were so captivated by this system of legalism. And he says, you sons of hell put all of these burdens on people's backs and you won't lift one finger to help them and you make them twice the child of hell. Because we, we think that if, we're, if we can earn our way and nobody can, and we think if we've got in, then now we have to keep it by living all of it perfectly. And let me just, just, let me just dismiss it for everybody right now. I am not perfect. And my staff is going, boy, isn't that the truth? <laughs> and my wife is not here to say, amen. Uh, that's not an excuse to stay in a place of sinfulness, but it's in a, it puts me in a place of humility to say, you know what, I can't out of pride order myself in such a way as to think that I have gotten what I have gotten because of anything that I have done because I never can do enough. Legalism says do, 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 or do not, do not, do not. And Jesus, the finished work, says done, done, done. Come on. Give him praise. That's it. There is a difference in biblical judgment and how this chapter or this passage is used in your face today. I want to submit to you that this passage is not telling you not to judge. It's telling you how to judge the right way. Okay? 
So we ask the question, should Christians not judge? If we take that one verse, Matthew 7, verse 1, out of context from just that one little passage, we're going to explain that whole get the log out of yours before you try to get the speck out of your brothers. Do that first so you'll be able to. That ought to give you some indication right there that he's saying, listen, sweep your own house before you try to take the broom next door. Okay? Now, but we've heard this so much in our culture. Oh, well, you're a Christian. I didn't think you guys would judge. And so we should ask the question, what does the Bible say? Should Christians not judge? Well, John chapter 7, verse 24. Listen to this. And this is not on the screen, so listen. If on the Sabbath a man receives Jesus, they're challenging him because he's healed a man on the Sabbath day. And Jesus says, if on the Sabbath, John 7, 24, this is in red, Jesus is speaking. For on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken. Are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So does the Bible contradict itself? Well, if you think the Bible only says you shouldn't judge, then yeah, you think you found a contradiction here. But if you read the rest of that passage in Matthew chapter 7 where it talks about this is the way you do it, the measure that you judge, you, it will be meted back to you. Deal with the log so you can clearly see the speck. Okay? Listen to this. This is the message. Jesus said, I did one miraculous thing a few months ago and you're still standing around getting all upset, wondering what I'm up to. Moses prescribed circumcision. Originally, it came not from Moses, but from his ancestors. And so you circumcise a man dealing with one part of his body, even if it's the Sabbath. So why are you upset with me? Because I made a man's whole body well on the Sabbath. Don't be nitpickers. Use your head and your heart to discern. Everybody say discern. Because so many times Christians hear this phrase, oh, you're a Christian, real Christians don't judge. And not only do they stop speaking against something that is clearly evil in our culture, but then they just throw discernment out altogether with it. Jesus says, discern what is right to test what is authentically right. Let me give you another one, Proverbs 31.9. Open your mouth, judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So we have to ask the question. Clearly the Bible in a couple of passages has told us there's a difference between judging in Matthew 7 and judging righteously. So we need to understand what is judging righteously. We ask the question, how or what does it mean to judge righteously? Well, let me just go at this backward and I would just want to tell you what it is not first. You drive up to Madison Avenue coming off the new bridge and you see the homeless guy standing there. It is, the, it is the typical. I think they probably rent it by the hour. You see the homeless guy and you withhold the sneer on your face, but that's really in your heart and you immediately think he doesn't want to work. You see an overweight person and you automatically think he or she is just lazy. You see a guy get out of a truck dressed in camo and you automatically think he's a redneck. You see another guy who's creative and maybe a little bit effeminate in his actions and you automatically think he is definitely a homosexual. You see another guy who has all-American looks, he's a pro NFL player and you are just certain that he is straight and has lots of girlfriends. You see a lady who's dressed to the nines. Her children know how to act perfect in 
public and you automatically think order. This person is somebody that I want to be like. You see a man walking into a steepled first church this morning in a coat and a tie carrying a Bible into church with his wife and his children and you automatically assume that he is a godly man leading his family. Let me go back. Let me tell you of some very specific situations. The homeless guy that you judged by an outward appearance and didn't judge righteously actually lost his job in corporate downsizing and his wife died of breast cancer and he's despondent living on the, on the street. And the last thing he needs is our judgmentalism. Look at your neighbor and say there's a difference in judging righteously and being judgmental. The overweight person is not lazy. You didn't know it, but she has a debilitating arthritis and is battling depression. The guy who got out of the truck in the camo is not a redneck. He's a corporate executive who's going on a duck hunt for Labor Day. (laughs) Not that there's anything wrong with being a redneck. Let me just clear that up. The guy who's creative and an effeminate that you assumed was a homosexual, has a beautiful wife with eight kids, six of which are theirs, and they've adopted two from China. These are a couple circumstances that I know personally. Don't live in West Memphis. The guy who is all-American, has all-American looks, who's a pro NFL player, is not straight with lots of girlfriends. He's living a dual life out of the closet. He's actually a flaming homosexual. The lady who's dressed to the nines, whose children act perfect, and she looks like the very picture of order, she would not have anything to do with a drug-addicted person, but hers is okay because she goes to the doctor and she supports her habit by visiting three different doctors with a prescription drug habit. And she sits in church on Sunday mornings. Am I helping anybody? The man in the coat and tie carrying the Bible into the church who looks godly is actually committing adultery with another woman in the same church that's a friend of his wife. Have I got your attention this morning? Jesus said, stop judging by outward appearances and make righteous judgment. In other words, you cannot look at someone and size them up in 30 seconds. That's what Jesus is telling you don't to do, not do not do. Do not judge in the sense of being condemnational, condescending. I want to pull out my old, that's this one I've worn out. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read a few passages from 5 and 6. Because the Apostle Paul is actually dealing with the church. He's writing to them because there's a sexually immoral situation going on in the church at Corinth. And he is actually shaming them for not dealing with it. Because there is a young man who is shacked up with his stepmother. Now, for those who think that the law of God has no place for the Christian in the New Testament, Paul is specifically appealing to passages in Leviticus and Deuteronomy that says, don't do this. Y'all still alive on the operating table this morning? He says, it's actually reported there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. This is a church. 1 Corinthians 5, a man has his father's wife and you're proud Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. And I have already passed judgment. This is an apostle speaking. I've already passed judgment on the one who did this just as if I were present. When you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and I am with you in spirit and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan 
so that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord? This was probably not underlined in many Bibles. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know what with a little yeast works through the whole bunch, the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast. Let me jump down to verse 9. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Verse 10. Now listen real carefully. Not at all meaning the people of the world who are immoral or the greedy and the swindlers or the idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. With such a man do not even eat. Wow. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Did you know that was in your Bible? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Chapter 6, verse 1. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? That has a whole different spin on somebody pointing their finger at your face and go, I thought you were a Christian. You're not supposed to judge. Okay, hang on. It says, and if you were to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Wow. It's quiet in here this morning. Therefore, if you, have dis- if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? Now, I've I got a couple more and I'm going to speak to some things very quickly this morning. Verse 9, chapter 6. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Wow. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All right, now, let's, let's make some application this morning. If you will stay with me, this will literally set you free. There's some principles. Here we go. Number one, there's a difference between righteous judgment and judgmentalism. Judgmentalism is looking at someone and by the outward appearance in 30 seconds, sizing them up and saying, oh, they're going to hell and writing them off not being a faithful steward of the gospel and speaking love and grace and the word of the Lord into his or her life. That judgmentalism is called condemnation. Everybody say condemnation. Quickly, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but he came to save it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God came not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus didn't come to point 
a bony pharisaical finger into your life or mine. He came to save us from our bondage. Jesus' biggest battles were with the religious people. Sinners didn't ever fight Jesus. It was church people. And let me just submit this to you. In the Bible Belt, Ted Koppel said, the Memphis is the buckle on the belt. And there is a pervasive spirit of Southern churchianity. Notice I didn't say Christianity. It's Southern churchianity that is all over the place. That if someone different walks in the door, and we have hammered this to build a spirit of grace, a hospitable environment where people can come. Because Jesus looked at the Pharisees one day and he said, I'm looking at you boys and I'm telling you, the thieves and the prostitutes are going to go in ahead of you in the kingdom of God because of your attitudes. Now, I don't believe that's in this church, but I have to keep on guard because I want to tell you something. There, there are a lot of attitudes in churches all over this city. There are wonderful people who love Jesus. There are great men in the pulpits of this city. But there are some people sitting in some of the pews and probably a couple of folks sitting right here this morning who deal with this whole thing all the time of pointing fingers. And let me tell you something. God is not pleased with that kind of judgmentalism. Don't shout me down. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Jesus looks at the disciples and the, and the Pharisees one day in John chapter 8, and he says, if you continue in my word, then you will be my disciples indeed, and you will, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Knowing the truth, letting it become part of me will make me free. I want to give you some application today, and I'm, I'm really going to wrap this up. And I want us to have a prayer time, because I believe the Spirit of God wants to do something fresh in each of our hearts. The first part of the application, not being judgmental does not mean laying down my discernment and my responsibility. Read that out loud with me. Not being judgmental doesn't mean laying down my discernment and my responsibility. A young man walks into this church. He's been gripped for three years with an outrageous drug problem. He's been disowned by his family because he's stolen from his parents. He's run up their credit cards. He's emptied a bank account or two. He's gotten into the whole thing of breaking into people's houses and stealing their valuables to sell it to support his drug habit. And he comes radically to Christ, confesses his sins, and he gets transformed. I get involved with him and start discipling him. I will embrace him. I will love him. I will pour mercy. I will begin to teach him how to walk and be led by the Spirit of God, how to let the Spirit of the Lord continue to sanctify him so that what was once a bondage does not find its way back around his ankles. He's no longer enslaved to that thing, but he stays free from it. Now, I'll walk with him for months and for a year, but let me just tell you something. I'm not going to let him date my daughter. Am I judging? No, I'm using parental discernment. Several years ago, I dealt with that very kind of a situation. 
The young man got free, walked free. He's living in another state. He's employed. He's finished his education. He's married. He has children. He's thriving. He's in a local church. This man I just described walked into this church here a few years ago, and I was meeting with him on a couple of times a week basis, praying with him, not just moving through the purple book, but doing the whole one-on-one thing and praying together and just speaking into his life and investing and building into him. And we were about a year into it, and he decided he wanted to date one of the young ladies in the church. She's not here either, lives in another state. The family moved away. And, he, and, the, and the dad of the young lady called me and said, Pastor Michael, I need to know, you've been meeting with this kid now for about a year. Is it safe for him to date my daughter? How many of you know he's just doing a righteous thing? Come on, y'all. I, I, this, this is just something that for some reason we've been so hammered with this. If you're a real Christian, you don't judge. We just throw every sense of discernment out the door and we just say, well, in the name of not judging, I'll just let my kids hang around with whoever they want to. Ah, wrong. I had a parent a year ago ask me this question. I don't know what to do because my child wants to hang around with this person that I know is clearly in the wrong. And my child looked at me and said, Mom, you're judging. And I said, don't you back down for one second. When my son was a teenager when my daughter now who's a teenager brings people into the house. You know what I do? Hi, how are you doing? I'm, I'm Michael Smith. I pastor Victory. What, who are your parents? What do they do? Where do they live? Tell me about, do you know Jesus? Now, I don't hit on all that within the first 30 seconds. <laughs> but you know, we're going to have a nice casual conversation. And I'm, <laughs> I'm sniffing around a little bit because guess what? Bad company corrupts good character. And as a parent, if I don't do that, God, if I don't make a proper righteous judgment, God will judge me. Don't be a fool. Just because the culture screams at you and says, don't judge, and your children get indoctrinated with that garbage and in the, in the public school system and come home and point at you and go, you're not a real Christian mom or dad because you're judging. And you just say, now, wait a minute, let's sit down, sweetheart. Let me tell you something. It is my responsibility as a parent to make sure that you're trained up in the way of the Lord so that you can make good, solid decisions on your own when it comes time. But right now, as long as I'm buying the food that's going in your mouth and you're sleeping under the covers that I bought, I'm going to participate in the decisions that you're making. I'm not judging. I'm just making good discernment calls. Don't shout me down, congregation. And I'm already getting a little too passionate about this because I don't want to sound mad. I'm really not mad. I'm not mad at anybody in this room. I'm mad at the devil that has tied us up and hogtied us as Christians, as parents, and, and, and made us think that if we look at something and it's just screaming red flags and it stinks to high heaven, that we don't back up and call a spade a spade and go, that is not healthy for you to be a part of. Are y'all hearing me this morning? Lady comes to church in a crisis at her work. She's embroiled in a legal battle because as the head of the accounting department, she's been accused of stealing $100,000. She comes to Christ, and it's obvious she's had a real transformation. I have an opening in my office, but guess what? I'm probably not going to consider her to be the church treasurer. I'm going to wait for some amens. All right, this is serious. Because you don't think like this. A pedophile has spent time in prison for a past situation. He's paid his dues to society. 
He confesses that he struggles, but he comes to Christ and he gets radically saved. Would I be using sound Christian judgment and discernment to put him over our new fifth and sixth grade class? I have to take hold of love with one hand and I have to take hold with truth in the other hand when I'm speaking to these issues. I have to speak the truth in love. I've had to sit down. I don't want you to get antsy because we are so protective. People who serve in our children's ministry go through a background check. We have to do that. Do you understand me? It's unfortunate. We have to do that. And, it, and, and that, that means sometimes I have to sit down and go, and it's not all a sexual issue. Sometimes it's because of discernment, because of a previous marriage, and somebody made an accusation, and it's never been cleared from the record. And as long as it's on the record as the pastor, I can't put somebody in one of our children's classes. I just, I have to be, I want to love this one sheep, but I can't sacrifice these 99 little lambs of God because this person says, I've already paid my debt to society. You're judging me. No, brother, I love you. I'm going to stand with you. Let me say something to you this morning. This is a little small group, and maybe the statistics won't bear out, but in the 1045 service, when it's more full, do you know that in a crowd this size, there's probably, and let's expand it. I walk through the crowd at K&R Park for a ball tournament with my son, who was nine or ten years old a few years ago, and a state trooper friend of mine said to me, he said, Michael, do you know that in a crowd this size, there are two rapists, there, there are three pedophiles, there's a murderer, we're just, and I'm not going to say the state trooper's name, some of you know this person, but he's, as, a, as a law enforcement officer, he says, in a crowd this size, statistics show that there are these that are walking around. And I just said, don't even tell me that. Now, don't anybody get scared. We, we, we have folks who walk around who've been assigned to look in. You go down that whole new wing on there, my office and every one of them has a full glass door. You can look in and see what's going on in your baby's classrooms. We're protecting. We're careful. I have to take hold of, with love with one hand and truth with the other and speak to these issues. Now, this whole thing that has hit here recently with the Chick-fil-A thing and the homosexual same-sex marriage issues, I, don't, I do not even want to go near that and open up that can of worms because it, deser it deserves its own message. But let me just say this to you this morning. I don't know which side you came down on that. It's, it's really immaterial. But it's unfortunate that we live in a day that is so polarized politically that all we have to do to silence someone who disagrees with us is just call them a hater. The very definition of the word tolerance implies disagreement. And folks, disagreement is not hate speech. If I have a child that is doing something that is clearly I know is wrong, I never stop loving that child, but I don't stop saying you can't keep doing this because you're going to get caught. And when you get caught, you're going to ruin your job, ruin your career, you're going to ruin your life. And I'm talking about all kinds of things, not just that particular hot button political issue of same-sex marriage. 
Do y'all still love me this morning? I just, I just want to say to you, it is too easy to get on the bandwagon and point our finger and scream in the face of something that is currently a hot topic when, and, and, and we see it as major in that person and we've got a log in our own. Don't talk with your mouth full and criticize and say you're for traditional marriage when you're on your fifth one. Look at your neighbor and say, real talk. Because I'm going to tell you, the, the homosexual agenda has a definite point when they look at us and go, don't kid yourselves that you're for traditional marriage. And you look at the church, the evangelical church, and we've actually got a higher level of divorce in the evangelical church than the, the statistic that is in normal society. Now, something has gone wrong. I'm not judging anybody when, when I say this. I am trying my best to love everybody in this room. Don't judge the drug addict when you can look good in church, but you've been to three doctors this week getting your prescription pill habit filled. We have logs in our eyes, saints, and we're worried about some specks in some other folks. Disagreement is just disagreement. It's not hate speech. I want to finish this. Look in the mirror of the word. Get rid of your log before dealing with his speck. We have to walk in L-O-V-E. I deliberately told the prayer team to wait, and I'm going to have the ministry team. And I've been before God all week long. I've just been crying out to God, going, God, help us. And I, I want to lead us this morning in a, in a place of prayer to repent. I want to lead us in a place before God to say, God, forgive me for immediately in 30 seconds sizing up all of these different categories of people and judging this one or that one based on a quick outward appearance when I don't really know what's going on in that person's heart. I want, I want, I want you to hear this. I want I want the homosexual community to free church and that we will throw our arms around them and we will say God loves you and, and I will hug them and, and love them just like I would the guy who's sitting in the pew and he's committing adultery against his wife and she doesn't know it. It's so easy to hate somebody else because their sin is different than mine. It's way quiet in here this morning. I believe God wants to do a work in our hearts and I believe he wants to call us to a place of holiness. Let me just say this. Quit living in denial about your drug problem. Don't judge the guy that comes in here whose hair is messed up and he's got tattoos all over the place and he's got needle marks. You can look good running from three doctors getting your Oxycontin filled. You can judge somebody else while you're committing adultery against your own marriage, your own wife. Let me just say something to you. A man who will not let a wife look at his computer or his phone, something's wrong. Mine grabs mine anytime she wants to and looks at whatever she wants to. I'm trying my, my heart. We're kidding ourselves. 
We do not break a bondage until we break denial. God, I just ask you, Holy Spirit, that you move in this place this morning. I'd like the prayer team, if you would, come to the side. I want to open the altar this morning. I'm going to be the first to kneel myself. I'm just going to say, God, forgive me for judgmentalism. Forgive me for standing in a place of looking and making a quick judgment based on an outward appearance. I just want to say to you today, there are some situations that you're not even wrestling with any of this, but you need some prayer about some other stuff. I need you to take a step of faith and get out of this, out of your seat this morning so that we don't have the idea that everybody who's coming forward is repenting of some secret sin because that's not the case. But I believe the Spirit of God wants to do some ministry in this room today before we go because real Christians aren't judgmental. They don't point a finger of condemnation. Pray with me today. Saints, the altar is open. These are here to pray with all of us. Spirit of the living God, I just ask you right now that you do a work. Do a work in me. I confess before you and before this congregation, Lord, my own legalism, my own judgmentalism of people. And I ask you, Lord, to Forgive me and replace it with a spirit of grace and with mercy. Everyone needs compassion, the kindness of a Savior. Let mercy fall on me. God, in receiving your mercy today, I ask you for a spirit of mercy and grace that I can turn and show it to other people, that I truly wouldn't be a hater, that I wouldn't be typical of the way some so-called Christians act. Forgive me, O God. Help us this morning. In Jesus' name.